Oswald J. Smith wrote in his book, The Revival We Need, Oh, my friends, we are loaded with countless church activities, while the real work of the church, that of evangelizing and winning the lost, is almost entirely neglected. Today we're continuing our series we've entitled The Genuine Church, and we are turning our focus onto outreach and evangelism. And we want to make sure we, we understand those terms, what we're talking about here today. You and I, dear Christian, we are the church. We are the body of Christ, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And before our Lord ascended back up to heaven, he gave us a commission. Call it a great commission. The word commission means a command. This is a command given by the Lord to us. See, you heard the gospel somehow, some way. And most statistics will tell you that uh, people come to faith by, uh, they were witnessed to by someone else. Mom and dad raised them, shared the gospel with them. Some, somebody loved Jesus enough and loved them enough to tell them the gospel. So that's most likely the case here for you. Somebody told you the gospel, you repented of your sins, you put your trust in Christ, and you became a Christian. And, and you are now part of this commissioning. We all bear the responsibility to fulfill this great commission. That's what we are to accomplish. That is the job we are to do. Now, whenever there's any job to do, doesn't really matter what the job is, there is the potential there to overcomplicate it. And I think we saw that in the video, did we not? It's a fishing club. What should a fishing club do? Ultimately, fish, sure. But they spend all their time talking about baits and various fishing techniques, fishing seminars, permits, boating licenses, but they never went fishing. The very thing that they're gathered together to do, the very thing that they're spending all their time talking about. And you and I, we are gathered together as God's people, the church, the followers of Jesus, and we have a job. We have a mission, which is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to tell people about who Jesus is and what he has done. And my question here today is, are we doing that? If you are, let me encourage you, keep it up. Keep it up. Your labor is not in vain. But again, the statistics bear it out. This is an issue where the church, and I would say the American church, is really lacking. We are really lacking in, in going about fulfilling this. We may think about it a lot. We may talk about it a lot. We may, you know, discuss it, strategize, talk about different models and paradigms and techniques and strategies to the neglect of obeying the command from our commanding officer. Are we going to talk about it? Or are we going to be about it? Right? I mean, let's not overcomplicate unto paralysis, leading to negligence. Instead, let's simplify unto obedience. Amen? I'm calling for amens today, folks. I've, Pastor Mark, God, I'm feeling it, okay? I am calling for action today. That, that, that is going to be the dominant theme for us. 
to not just merely be hearers of the word, but doers. So having said that, let's hear the word. Let's go to Mark chapter 1, Gospel of Mark. I will have the verse, verses on the screen, but I want us to, to listen to the very simple words by Jesus given to his earliest followers. If you're able to stand, I ask that you do that as we are about to hear from the Lord in his word. Mark chapter 1, just a few verses, 16 through 18, we read from the ESV, and it says this. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw Simon, a.k.a. Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. The word of God, you may be seated. Thank you. I want you to notice there in those few verses we read in Mark 1, I want you to notice the calling to be a follower of Jesus Christ, come follow me, and the commissioning to go and be fishers of men are both, uh, in a sense, individual calling and, and collective. Right, let, me, let me see if I can flesh that out. Peter and Andrew were, were called together, but they were called by name individually. And then we're going to see in the next uh, following verses, we'll get to them later, uh, we see Jesus calling James and John, two more brothers, and then in Mark chapter 2, he calls Matthew. What, what is Jesus doing? He's calling individuals, to be sure, these guys have names, they're particular people that he's calling, but he's calling them as individuals, but he's calling them to be part of a larger group, his disciples, and what we would call the early church. Jesus said, I'll build my church, and he has done that, and he is still doing that today. So here's the very beginning. And so the command to follow him and make disciples, be fishers of men, is given to individuals like us, yes, but we are part of a larger group, the church, the genuine church. And I bring this up because I, I think there might be a, a tendency to shoulder the burden ourselves. Like you might hear this and you say, yeah, I know, the, the, the command is given to me. I, we're so individualistic, I think, especially here in America, that we think, I got to shoulder this. I, I got I to gotta do it. It's on me. The command's been given to me. I got to carry it out. I, 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 me, me, me. And, and we fail to realize the command is given to the individual. Make no mistake about it. You, me, everybody who claims Christ. But it's given to the church, right? Jesus is going to build his church through his church. See, and this is how God operates. I would make the case that throughout Scripture, all the way Genesis to Revelation, I think you do see times where God calls an individual, gives them a job to do, to be sure, right? But if you go all the way back to the garden, he created one man. His name was Adam. And he gave him a job to do. He said, tend the garden, work the land. But the word says that, it was not good for man to be alone, so he created a helper suitable for him. Enter in Eve. Now we have multiple people for the job. God calls a single man Abram. 
He says, of this single man, I will make you into a great nation. And then we watch throughout the Old Testament, we see God working. And how is he working? Quite often, he's working through his people, the Israelites. Then in the New Testament, yeah, you have the individuals. You have Peter and Andrew and James and John and and Matthew being called. And then when they are sent out to proclaim the gospel, how does he send them out? Two by two. He doesn't say individually, it's a solo job. You go that way, you go that way. No, pair up and then go out. And I think the pattern continues on for us today. So instead of us feeling so individualized, we need to recognize we're part of a larger group. And we ought to function as such. Because if you're, you're attempting to fulfill the Great Commission, share your faith, witness, make disciples, whatever you want to call it, and you want to do that as kind of a, you know, a renegade cowboy Christian all on your own, you're probably going to struggle. You're going to find that difficult. No wonder you're frustrated. Or no wonder you've thrown up your hands at the whole enterprise to begin with and said, I'm just not going to bother because it's too hard. Have you considered joining with other believers in this effort? Making it a collective effort. So we ought to work with God as he intended instead of going against the grain. So my, my, my big point here today is outreach and evangelism, uh, yeah, we do it individually, sure, you can, but we're talking about the genuine church here. We're the, the, the called out ones, the collective, the believers. There are tremendous benefits in going about doing this as a group versus the individual. There's many benefits. I will give you just three here today. Number one, we're going to see, if you can, Miss Debbie, can you go to the next slide? Thank you. Number one, I would say we see examples happening in, 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 the, in the collective of the genuine church witnessing and sharing their faith and making disciples, right? Examples of people being evangelistic. What did Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. Or as the ESV puts it in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, we can learn from examples. And let's personalize it here in this local assembly. When I think about Living Water Community Church, uh, when I see, think of examples of, of this being carried out, I think of our Saturday morning street outreach team. The, the Saturday morning team that goes out every single Saturday morning, men and women get up early. They, they, they don't talk about getting up early. They actually get up early. They don't talk about hitting the streets. They actually hit the streets. They go downtown near the corner of 2nd and State, and they love people. They love people. They meet the needs of the people there. They meet physical needs, coats and clothing and hygiene products and toiletries, many of which you guys donate. Thank you. We collect those year-round, especially now. Weather's getting colder, is it not? We need, we need some of those coats. If you want to raid your closet, you bring them in uh, down in the library. We have a table set up there. Where, that's where those donations go, and then we take them to the street. Or better yet, join us, bring the coats with you, and then you can help distribute them. Just an idea. Right? So we meet physical needs down there. We meet emotional needs. I mean, we got pff, mental health is a, is a real issue. We got distraught people. We got people that are broken. 
And sometimes they just need someone to listen to them. They, people down there, they lend an ear. And a lot of people got a lot to say down there, and we just come and we listen. And we talk with them. Helpful words, you know, just encouraging words, prayerful words, praying with them, helping them emotionally. But we know the greatest need that people have is really not physical or emotional. Those are extremely important and ought not be neglected. Don't misunderstand me. But it is spiritual. The spiritual needs that people have. Because a lot of times you're in physical need and you're in emotional need because you're separated from God. You have abandoned his word. You're off doing your own thing, disregarding the truth of God's word. And you're experiencing the natural outworking of that. It's just reaping and sowing. I mean, that principle applies to you and me and people on the street. You know, if we live apart from God, there's going to be problems. There'll be consequences of making decisions apart from the truth of God's word. So people need Jesus. They need Jesus. So what happens each and every Sunday? We bring a coat for the physical need. We bring compassion for the emotional need. And we bring Christ for the spiritual need. Coats, compassion, and Christ every Saturday morning. And I want you to know that because as you hear the news reports or you follow Penn Live or wherever you get your local news and you hear about another murder in Harrisburg, you hear about a, a death due to fentanyl or another heroin overdose, know that our team is down there seeking to, to do capital D, capital O, do something about it. They're there. And this isn't about elevating living water. Christians are down there. Capital C, church, are down there seeking to do what I just mentioned. And we can learn from their example. I personally have benefited. Yeah, I go down there to witness and share my faith. Sure, there's people I want to catch up with and, and talk with them and talk them about Jesus and find out what's going on in the world, talk football, whatever the case may be. But I go down there and I sometimes just watch. I watch Wayne and Kim Cooley who lead this. I watch them balance love and compassion with wisdom and stewardship. And that, that is treacherous waters right there. It's very difficult, and they do it exceptionally. I see Denise Babb sitting over there on the curb, listening and talking to a distraught woman who's just got tears pouring from her eyes. And Denise is just there with her, ministry of presence, just sitting alongside encouraging words, praying for her. I see Jeff Mason talking to a, a guy about a job prospect. But here's the thing about Jeff. Jeff doesn't say, hey, you know what? You, you got to get out there, man. Pound the pavement, keep working, and, and I'll pray for you. Jeff does pray for him, but Jeff, I will tell you, is actively involved in helping that man find the job. I mean, active. He's, he's, he's doing more than just saying, hey, man, Get the resume out there, whatever, apply, do whatever you got to do. He's actively involved. He's doing. Tom Hess and his kids. Tom brings his kids down. What a delight. Those kids are awesome. And they're there. And to see kids just interacting, handing out materials at the table, it's beautiful. It brings a tear to my eye to see that. Then I watch Terry Brown take a bunch of gospel tracks. because People won't come up to the table. We go to them. 
We don't wait for them to come to us. If you're waiting for people to ask you about the hope that's in you, you might be waiting for a long time. We go, G-O, go to them. Terry takes some tracks, and she just boldly, like Terry Brown, just walks right up, and her sweet personality hands them out to people. I see Ken, Jeff, and Sarah handing out Bibles at the table. I see Ken Faust and Jamie Etter. They're bringing joy to the whole thing. Those guys, wherever there's laughter found, and there is laughter, Ken and Jamie are there. They're like the comic relief to this. And Jamie has a great laugh. You can, you can hear it. It's awesome. And it's music to my ears. Because it's not all about, you know, just supplying needs in a mechanical way. We love these people, and they love them. And you can joke and laugh and bring light and laughter to a dark and depressing world. And it happens every Saturday morning. And I praise God for those men and women. So first, we can learn from examples. We see examples. Number two, we receive encouragement. And these are very closely linked, are they not? Right? If you, if you see somebody doing it, doesn't that encourage you? Like, hey, I can do that. Wow, I, I saw what you did. I will do that. Right? The, the two are tied together. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 it says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We all need a, a Barnabas in our life, right? I almost said Barabbas. You don't need a murderer in your life. You need a Barnabas. <laughs> the Holy Spirit caught me, and then I decided to tell y'all anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So we all need a Barnabas in our life. And, and I think I got a few in my life. One I will tell you about is our beloved Pastor Ben Maxey. He told you last weekend that we spent some time together down in Atlanta. We we're down there for a conference. And if you've ever been to a conference, I don't care if it's ministry or some business thing, yeah, you go to the conference and you sit and you listen to the speakers who are all knowledgeable and written books on the subject, and you, you get something. But how much learning is done outside the conference? You know, and that was the case for me as Pastor Ben and I are just burning the candle at both ends, staying up late at night in the hotel lobby, just talking life and, you know, just enjoying one another, you know. So he's, he's my, my Barnabas. And I remember one night uh, talking to my wife, Tara, and I, I told her, I said these words, I said, Pastor Ben is so good for me. He's good for me. I need to spend more time with him. I spend a lot of time with him, but I need more. And you know, we know him, we a great preacher, great intellect, but I'll tell you this about Pastor Ben. He earnestly seeks to live this out. He's not, it's just not filled in his head, all right? He's carrying it out, you know, not perfectly. He'd be the first to tell you that, but boy, if somebody's earnestly seeking to live a life worthy of the gospel, it is him. And this is not about elevating him. I'm just saying this is a guy, an example, who serves as an encouragement for me. And it wouldn't be that way if I never had uh, any relationship with him. So, yeah, he's, he's living it out, especially in the area of outreach and evangelism. Not just like getting smarter than he already is, but actually sharing the gospel with people. So we, we're at this conference, and that was what the conference was all about. It's about saturating our city with the gospel. And so one day, we were leaving our hotel room, Pastor Ben and I, and we're walking down the hallway, 
And uh, like he often does, he, he says to me, he says, you know, Mike, if we're going to expect living water to be, you know, active and mobilized and, and witnessing and sharing their faith, we need to be about it too. Or first, maybe, is what he said. You know, we, we, we can't be hypocrites on it. We, it starts with us, is, is what he's saying. And within, I'm not kidding, two, three seconds, we round a corner to get to the elevator. I go to press the button, and the door opens, and uh, a woman is on the elevator with a cart. She's a member of the hotel cleaning staff. And I said, hey, how you doing? She said, good. And as we kind of like stepped out of the way to let her push her cart out, and we smiled, and, and Pastor Ben said this. He said, so, how's your day going? Now, you might think, well, that's the same question you asked. It's not. <laughs> you and I both know that that's not the same question. How you doing? And so, how's your day going? Right? Those hit the ear very different. Right? And they're going to elicit very different responses. And they did in this case. Because when he said, so, how's your day going? Her response was, not good. The exact opposite that she told me. Why? Because she's answering a different question, right? And if Pastor Ben's not with me, I, I, here's how that would have went. Standing there, elevator opens up. Hey, how you doing? Oh, let me get out of your way. Uh, how you doing? Uh, good. I get in the elevator. Have a good one. Take care. You too. To... A woman who's just, that, and that would have been the interaction, probably, if I'm on my own. But that's not what happened. So she says, not good. All right. Let's pause here, and I ask you, I want to bring you in. All right, I'm going to insert you into the scenario. What do you say to that? What do you say to that? How many of us say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's too bad. Well, I hope things get better for you. Tomorrow's another day, right? Just some platitude that uh, just kind of meaningless, you know, just a word of encouragement, right? Well, Pastor Ben did not for any of those. Without missing a beat, he said, can we pray for you? I mean, that quick, that quick is what he said. Can you pray? Can we pray for you? And with a slight smile, she said, yes. But he had another question for her. What was that question? It's so simple, you'd probably overlook it. The question is, what is your name? I, you know what I mean, right? I mean, should we take this nameless woman before the throne of God to intercede on her behalf, or does she have a name? Is she an image bearer of God with inherent dignity and value, or is she the hotel cleaning lady? No, she has a name, and it's Teresa. This, see, this is loving people. This is loving people. This is valuing people. So often we, we think it's just, you got to stand on the street corner with a megaphone preaching the Bible at people. He, watch how this develops. He's just loving this woman. And I ask you, why aren't our interactions like this? Why can't our interactions be like this? Why uh, do they have to be mundane? We make them mundane. We do. Why can't this be a divine encounter? So Pastor Ben asked, could, he, could we pray for her and what's her name? He had another question. He had another question. He says, 
can I place my hand on your shoulder? Would that be okay? Now, for all we know, it, it could be the case that the only time a man lays a hand on Teresa is to be violent to her and to abuse her. And here's two Christian men in a very gentlemanly manner putting our hands on her shoulder to pray for her. And that might just have impacted her in a most profound way. There's something about touch, right? Now you might say, all right, Mike, that's, you know, that's a nice story, nice, nice gesture that you guys did for that woman, but it, I mean, it's not evangelistic. I mean, where's the gospel? I'm not done yet. Story goes on. <laughs> story goes on. There's more to it. See, Pastor Ben is so gospel-centered, as we all ought to be, in his prayer, he weaves in the gospel, just as naturally as could be. I mean, this is all happening in seconds, right? And I can't remember exactly what he said, but it went something like this. And you could just hear Pastor Ben praying this. Lord, we bring before you Teresa. She is having a difficult day, Lord, cleaning up people's messes. And Lord, we know that you are no stranger to cleaning up people's messes as you sent your one and only son into this world to clean up our mess. Jesus has washed us clean of all of our sin through his death on the cross. And I'm standing there, I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this guy, this guy. I mean, it's just, I'm getting an education. I'm like, I'm the director of outreach. This guy's gunning for my job, basically. Just loving this woman who we just met. And I ask you, Honestly, don't you want to live life like that? How many people do we pass? We don't even smile at them. You know, there was a little congestion thing in the grocery store just yesterday. I couldn't get through. They, they, they saw, the one guy saw I was trying to get through, but there was people looking at stuff on the shelf. And he, he, he kind of moved his stuff out of the way and smiled at me so that I can get through. And, and I smiled back. And I, that was rare. Like, why, you know, why, why is that rare, you know? I mean, I said, thank you, you know? How many people do we pass with just nothing? Talk about mundane, you know? I mean, it's, it's not a walk from your hotel room to the elevator. It's a missions trip. Why can't it be? Why can't it be? If you don't like the word evangelism, which many don't, call it loving people with the gospel, that's what he was doing. But why don't we live life like that? I'll tell you why. We're, we're going independently. We're not taking advantage of the help that is offered from fellow believers who are further along than, than we are, like Pastor Ben is to me, as he sets an example and gives me great encouragement. I told you, if, she, if he wasn't there, this whole story doesn't exist. That's me on my own. So the benefits of doing outreach and evangelism within the genuine church are, one, we see examples, two, we receive encouragement, and three, we get equipped. We get equipped. Ephesians 4 says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I want you to notice the word equip there. Go back to Mark chapter 1, and the verses that follow after what we read earlier say this. 
And going on a little farther, he, that's Jesus, saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And I learned something this week. That word, uh, the Greek word that gets translated mending there in Mark 1 is the same Greek word that is used in Ephesians 4 for equipping. What are they doing? They're equipping their nets. For what? For action. For action, to catch fish. And my role here at the church as director of outreach, I want to equip you. That's, that's, I see that as a big part of my job. If I look at that list of those offices there, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, some translations have pastors. If I'm going to put myself anywhere in there, it's evangelists. But don't get it twisted. It's not because I share my faith. I do that. And I'm called to do that, as we all are called to do that. But that's not why I say that. I say that because of the following verse. Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So you might ask, so how is Living Water doing that? You, you think, you know, your, part of your job, big part of your job is to equip the saints? How's it going? And you are a saint, by the way, in case you didn't know that. You say, Mike, I don't even have a statue. That's correct. You're a saint, according to the New Testament. All right? We do this in a number of ways. I would give you just five. I'll run through them very briefly. Number one, we have something called E3, which is a small group that meets on a weekly basis here at the church. The E3 stands for Equip, Engage, Evangelize. Yes, Sunday morning, 9 to 10.30. So if you're a regular 11 a.m. attender, you can do what many people do, what I do. I attend 11, but I'm in E3 at 9. You can make your whole morning here at Living Water. That's what, that's what many of our people do. It's downstairs, right behind the children's check-in area where we gather. And it's not me lecturing, right? It's not, I wouldn't call it a class, I really wouldn't. It's a small group, and it's very discussion-based. That whole story with Pastor Ben, Teresa, and myself, that, that was a big part of what we talked about last weekend. You know, it's just real-life stuff, real practical stuff. How much does it cost to be part of the group? Nothing. Is there a book to buy? No. Do you have to read a chapter of some book from week to week? No. Can I just show up? Yes. What if I have other obligations that may prohibit me from attending? No problem. Come when you can. It's offered year-round. I'm a real soft seller. This is why I didn't make it in sales, right? Just, I'm not going to, you know, the, and the group is for us. It's, it's, it's not, it ought not be a burden. It's for us. See, when, when we gather together, you might, you might say, well, what's the curriculum, Mike? Well, a lot of times the curriculum is decided by the people there. I'll give you an example. Earlier this year, a person said, you know, hey, I, I, I really do want to share my faith, but I just don't know how people, you know, who raise the objection about, you know, oh, God is so good and he's all powerful. How is there all this evil and suffering in the world? Right? You've heard that. Right? I said, that's a great question. I said, how about we deal with it? So I go to work. I create a PowerPoint, I come up with 15 different avenues, different ways to respond to that objection, 
And we take about three or four weeks and we work our way through it in detail, just doing a deep dive on that, that particular objection. Right? That, that's, that was the curriculum. Why? Because I want that person to be equipped. I want them to have confidence so that they can obey Jesus. That's the goal. So how else do we do it? Sometimes we bring in some big name, famous evangelist, apologist like that guy, Greg Kokel, as maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago. I don't know, we brought him in from California. Uh, he wrote a book called Tactics, a game plan for discussing, discussing your Christian convictions. I've learned a lot from that book. The conference was available. And I'll tell you, as the guy who created the budget, there was a significant cost, right? I mean, there was a cost for him, and he's coming from California. Bring him here to PA. Why? We want you to be equipped. That's why. We have a church library downstairs. Books like Tactics are there. We have some other books. I brought a few up here just to kind of show you. Um, Anyone uh, but me, 10 ways to overcome your fear and be prepared to share the gospel. Very relevant for what we're talking about. When people are big and God is small, overcoming the fear of man. How many of us need to, to read this? Skeptics Answered by D. James Kennedy. All these books, uh, free, just for you to use whenever. Whenever the building is open, the library is open. If you're waiting for a librarian down there, you're going to wait a long time. There is no librarian. It's, don't look for me. It's a little book. You sign out, you know, I'm, my name, I'm taking this book. You know, is there a cost? No. Uh, how long do I have before to, I need to return it? As long as you need. Uh, what if I want to give it to a friend? Okay. What if I want to keep it? Okay. What if I lose it? You're going to charge me for it? No. You know, Again, I'm trying to make this as easy as possible for you. It's a book-sharing system. That's really all it is. Why? So that you'd be equipped. Number four, we have outreach resources right in the library. We have that board right there <clears throat> that has tracks and other materials free. Take, take as much as you want. Clear it out. You can clean that out if you're going to give all that stuff out. Okay, and I do need to buy more and fill it up a little more. But there's plenty down there, unless the 9 a.m. service cleaned it out. I haven't been down there, but uh, I will be checking it out. But these are, these are tools available to you, uh, for you to use. Take them. They're free. You know, when you go out to eat and you pay your bill, most people pay with a card, right? Unless you're a damn Dave Ramsey devotee, you know, you cash only, you pull out your little envelope. Sorry, that's not funny. Um, <laughs> my sense of humor doesn't always land. Uh, but we, we swipe with a card. I went through FPU. I know. I'm just like Dave Ramsey wouldn't be proud of me. But when, when, I, when we pay, I have little cards that I'll, I'll either, if I'm not feeling very bold, I leave it with the receipt. You know, leave a big tip. Don't leave the card in place of a tip. That's bad form. Right? You're not helping if you do that. You leave a big tip. And when I'm feeling bold, I'll say to the server, I'll say, hey, you did a great job. Thanks for taking care of us. Here's something for you to read during your next break. Why can't we do that? What? The question is not, can we do it? You can. I've given you the materials and everything. The question is, will you do it? That's the question. Action. Remember? 
Mr. Palmer, uh, the gentleman from uh, Gideon, spoke up here a couple weeks ago. Great guy. Super generous, this guy. He's out there in the lobby at the table, and I'm talking with him, and I see these nice orange, Syracuse orange New Testament Bibles, and I'm like, I'm like, man, I really like those Bibles. Guess what? Next day, a case of 100 of them appear in my office. Just some leprechauns brought them in. Free of charge. I didn't even really ask for him. Just, he's part of the genuine church. He's trying to equip me to equip you. This is how this operates. This is how it works. Lastly, one last thing. We have the Engage Gospel Outreach YouTube channel. I'm that guy filling up your inbox on Mondays. And I'm not just trying to add another email to the slew of emails that you get. You know, Big Lots is having a sale or whatever the case may be, right? These are designed, these videos that I create are, have a dual purpose. One, many of them are apologetic in nature. What that means is that they're, they're designed to equip you to give an answer or make a defense for the hope you have in Christ, right? To handle those objections like I talked about earlier, right? So you watch the video, then you share it. You just send it off to somebody who you think might benefit from it. That, that's really what it's all about. Created a, sh a shorts section. You know, videos that are a minute long or less. I mean, if you can't, if you don't have time to watch a 60-second video, you really got to loosen up your schedule. I I'm concerned for you, really. You know, so they're short. Time really isn't an issue. It's a matter of the will. Or do you want it? Do you want it? See, all these things, all of them, are designed to do one thing, to equip. You know what I want to do? I'll just lay my cards on the table. I want to eliminate every excuse you could possibly come up with, right? I, I, you, you cannot call Living Water your home church and say, either today or on Judgment Day, I would have been more evangelistic if my church would have only helped me. You can't say that. And I'm not trying to boast or anything. I'm just telling you this is, it is what it is. Right? You can't say, well, if only my church would gather together, say, on Saturday morning down in the corner of State and Second. You can't say that. Uh, if our church had a, a small group where I can come and, and learn specifically about this topic, this issue, raise my questions, raise my you know, issues as to why I don't share my faith. You know, maybe that could happen Sunday morning at 9 o'clock behind the children's check-in area. You know, room 112 maybe. You can't say, you know, well, the church never brings in, you know, some more famous person. You know, Bongo's a bag of bricks. I, I don't trust him. Like, I don't think he's got it. But bring in a Greg Kokel. We have. You can't say that. You can't say, I wish they had a library with resources, tracks, maybe a video that I could share digitally. You can't say any of those things. You know, I, I, wish, I wish our church had a director of outreach who was accessible. Somebody who would, you know, I can ask my own question to sit down. I, I get texts on the regular, and I love it, from a handful of people, and I will take more. I'm standing up here saying, I'll accept more, right? They call and they say, I, I want to witness to my brother. He's coming over for dinner tonight. He, let me tell you about him. You got any ideas? Oh, do I love that. Like, we have such a great conversation. I'm available for that type of stuff. That's, that's what makes my heart beat. So 
So what should drive all of this? What, what is our motivation? That's really always the question you need to ask when you seek to do anything. Why am I doing it? Should we do it out of guilt? I hope you don't hear me guilting anybody. I, I don't, I'm telling you right now, if you're doing it out of guilt, don't. Don't. You need to just not do it, check your heart, and then re- re-engage, okay? This is not a guilt trip. You know, I'm just telling you, this is what the Bible says. This is what you're called to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you, that makes you feel guilty, I don't know. Let's call it conviction, maybe from the Spirit, okay? But I'm not trying to guilt anybody. And I would even say, don't even do it out of obligation. I mean, sometimes we do things out of obligation because you have to, right? Those dishes sitting in your sink that you wanted to do before you came to church, you got to get them done, right? You don't, oh, I can't wait to go do those dishes because... I, I, you know, I want to have good stewardship of my kitchen. No, you don't spiritualize. You just do the dishes, right? I'm not saying this ought to be done like that. I'm saying this ought to be done for one reason, really, and one reason only. It's the word love. Love. Pastor Ben talked about it last week. And look, this, this sermon just immediately follows that one. I was sitting there and I'm like, oh, this is a perfect setup. He was just putting it on the table. It was great. Love. These all tie together, right? Because it's coming from one source book, the Bible, to one church. Us, the followers of Christ. So how, why is it love? How is love related to evangelism? How is it not? It's all about love. And it begins with love for God. To see Him glorified. With whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or share the gospel, do it to the glory of God. We want to see God glorified. We, we want the lamb to receive the full reward for his suffering. We, we want people to be brought into the fold. We want, to, we want to love his law. We want to love his commands. Jesus said, here's how you'll show that you love me. You'll obey me. You'll, you'll follow my commandments. Jesus didn't, he, he was a simplifier. He did not complicate it. And so it's love for God, number one. But then when you step out and you obey God, will conversations get awkward? Yes. Will you be taken out of your comfort zone? Yes. Will you be thought of as weird? Yes. Will you get called names? Yes. Sure. If you haven't, you just haven't talked to enough people yet. I've been called names before. To the glory of God. To the glory of God. Lean over the plate. Take one for the team. Right? We worship a man who was murdered. Why do you expect any less? What are you, they're going to love you? Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. I love that about the word of God. Jesus tells you ahead of time. Like a doctor who says, This is going to hurt. I don't want that doctor who says, you're going to feel a little pressure. And then it hurts like crazy. I don't want that guy or gal. I want, you tell me up front, I'll brace myself and get through it. And and he says, it's in Luke somewhere. He says, Luke 6, I think. When when they revile you and they ostracize you on on the account of me, you know what he says you're to do? Leap for joy. I, I, I just like, that's amazing. 
That is absolutely, that should be our response, to count it worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Are we willing to embrace it? Will we accept it? I mean, aren't you glad Jesus left the glory of heaven to come to this place and die for your sins? I mean, the, the Godhead plan could have been, I'm going to establish my law because I'm a God of justice and no grace, no mercy offered. The Father doesn't send the Son. The Son doesn't come. That's it. We're all done. That could have been the plan. No, in love, we've been predestined, Ephesians 1, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. It's love that's driving it. Has, aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad you got your sins forgiven? Kim is. Kim is. Yes, amen. You know, we ought to be grateful. And what better way to show our gratitude than to tell others so that they would come in. I mean, are you going to hold it to yourself? This treasure that you have and say, well, I'm glad I'm going to heaven when I leave this place. As for this guy, don't know. Why don't you engage this guy? Why don't we talk about this? Do we love people or not? And if I asked you, do you love people? You would say, yes, I'm sure you would, especially in church, right? Yeah. We love people. Much tougher question. Do you love people enough to do something about it? That's really what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. Two convicting quotes, and then we'll, we'll end it right here. Author Mark Cahill, he put it like this. He said, that's the problem we got with the American church today. We swear to the high heavens that we care where all these people are going to spend eternity, but I don't care enough to get into a conversation with my next door neighbor. Atheist Penn Jillette said this, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. I agree, Penn. Let's pray. Lord, this is, a, this is a hard word. This is a hard word. Uh, I can be very bold up here, sounding all, talking tough, but I, I feel the fear of man. Uh, I feel the weight of uh, just trying to go it alone because um, you know, I'm not as bold as I often portray, Lord. And I, I know I'm not alone in here, but you've given us each other. As I fed off Pastor Ben, I pray that we would feed off others as well. That's why we gather together. That's why we fellowship. And that's why we do this as a church, as your genuine church, because we love you and we love others. It's those two great greatest commandments. This is not hard. We often complicate things. We, and maybe it's a smokescreen to not obey. I don't know the motivation there, but I, I know the simple gospel. I know the simple command to go and tell it. The question is, will I? And will my friends hear? Will this fall on deaf ears? Will this just be another sermon that we just, yeah, you know, um, maybe I'll give that some thought someday. And I pray that we don't, you know, just be hearers and uh, not doers and so deceiving ourselves, Lord. You are worth more than that. You are worthy of all of our faithful obedience 
to your law. Lord, help us. We need your help. We have the spirit that's not a fear of timidity, but of power and self-control. I pray that we would understand that. And when we gather together, that's where that, that, that encouragement and that boldness can just, just be demonstrated as we actually carry this out. I pray for action, Lord. And I pray also for <clears throat> this offering that we are about to collect. Many of the things that I mentioned that we get to do through outreach and evangelism happens because of what's happening right now. As people are going to give out of, out of how you have blessed them, they want to give back. They want to give to you and they want to give to the work of the ministry to allow us to be able to buy gospel tracts and to buy items to take to the street and to support missionaries and do all these things for the advancement of your gospel, Lord. This is what it's about, is you receiving all the praise and all the glory. It's about you, Lord. Amen.